After a month that saw numerous high-profile data breaches from industry-leading companies, a common question that I get asked from both newcomers to the cybersecurity world and friends and family outside of it is how can we be investing so much time and money into cybersecurity, yet every week a breach of some manifest is reported in the news? In today's podcast, we take a deep dive into the history of the modern internet to understand why cybersecurity breaches happen, a review of one of those high-profile hacks here in September of 2022, and what you can do as a junior-level cybersecurity professional to help prevent this from occurring in your workplace. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the Laurel Mountain Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Anderson, and on this podcast, we provide information technology and cybersecurity education for aspiring professionals. If you are looking to make a career change or are just getting started in your first semester as a cybersecurity major at a university, this is the podcast for you. Podcast episodes are available each and every Saturday on all major podcast providers. The title of today's podcast is Why Cybersecurity Breaches Happen in 2022. And I felt this particular topic was relevant here for Podcast 11 for two reasons. One, it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month here in October, and I wanna kind of focus on some content that kind of revolves around that, cybersecurity awareness training, uh, some, some ideas with regards to how to make yourself and your colleagues or your coworkers better cybersecurity awareness evangelists. And it just so happens that in September, we had at least a half a dozen major corporations and vendors suffer data breaches or hacks of some manifest here in September. So when you combine the two, some of the reasons why some of these companies were hacked were things that should have been taught or dealt with with good cybersecurity awareness training. So I wanted to focus on today's podcast as why this keeps happening. Because quite frankly, people are tone deaf to it. You'll see in the news that a, a cybersecurity breach occurred to even big corporations like Uber. Uber's the case study that we're going to look at here in this podcast later on uh, this episode. And, you know, Uber gets hacked. And, you know, I only had one person ask me what happened. You know, normally they'll, you know, at least have a few people that'll ask me what happened. It's so common now. People just are like, oh, it's just, you know, it, it just gl gets glazed over. It's not even something you know, shocking to them because it's so common and it happens so frequently that people don't even ask questions anymore. It's just kind of the the day-to-day -day nature of our high-tech world where some corporation or some entity is going to suffer a breach of some manifest. So the contents of today's podcast are going to be focused on three things here today. The first thing that we need to do is to understand exactly why these breaches keep happening requires a bit of a history lesson. So the first topic today will be a trip back to 1995 to understand the core foundations of the World Wide Web and why those core foundations and the extrapolation of corporate data beyond that have kind of brought us to where we're at now. We're gonna take a look at exactly what happened to Uber on September 15th of this year and some of the baffling errors that were made in the cybersecurity space in that corporation. Uh, there's some challenges and some things that make me scratch my head, but we're gonna review exactly what happened to them. And finally, I'd like to give you guys a handful of tips that you can leverage as a newcomer to the cybersecurity industry or someone who's just gotten into a place of work and say, hey, these are things and mindsets that I can bring to the table in terms of our corporate footprint. You know, what work we do here, we're going to have these mindsets because oftentimes as a newcomer to the industry, you're going to be 
at the bottom or towards the bottom of the tech knowledge totem pole. But what you can make up for is some organizational, some philosophical, and some attention to detail things. So I want to give you some things that you can leverage at your new role, or once you get a role, you can put these into practice or at least evangelize these to your direct manager so that they can help implement this as well, because it's a culture. Oftentimes, if you have someone set a bar that's really low at the very top, it permeates down. But the same thing can happen if your lower level junior engineers set a culture or set an expectation that allows things of, of positive value permeate up. You know, so that is the goal here. And this could even be leveraged in an interview. So you could get an interview somewhere and somebody would may say, well, how can you help us prevent cybersecurity breaches? Well, I'm going to give you three tips that you can provide that interview question a very solid answer to. So with that said, let's jump in our time machines. We're going to go back to the year 1995 to understand why cybersecurity is so hard and why breaches continue to happen even in 2022. So let's all hop in our DeLoreans and punch in the date August 24th, 1995. And that date's relevant in the history of the modern internet because that was the day Microsoft launched Windows 95 to the modern American and world home. And that in conjunction with the availability of internet service providers allowed the world of home computing to explode throughout the United States and abroad. Nine days later, eBay would launch their website for auctioning and, and allow you to auction items that you own through the power of the internet. And somewhere along the line, Brendan Eich was creating JavaScript in 10 days, all in 1995. And JavaScript is the ability to programmatically control pages that you'd like to page you know, for e-commerce, connecting websites to databases and allow programmatic functions to take place on the modern internet. And when you combine all of these things together, the dot-com era is born. And this forced businesses into a position where they had to rush to the market in order to not be left behind. Some businesses' survival depended on how fast they could get a website up and running. There was never a thought about security. There was never a thought about function. It was about how fast we can be online because every day we're not online, it's costing us revenue. And that mantra and the lack of any kind of voice of security saying, hey, we can get this done, but there's a lot of negative consequences here. A lot of what we have the modern internet built upon isn't designed for secure data transmit. It's not designed with a security mindset involved. No one cared in that era. It was just a matter of getting a website up. So you have the dot-com era, it's exploding. All these pages are being put up together for e-commerce. And unfortunately, we, it was built with an insecure foundation. And since that precedent has been set, and since that date has kind of solidified the modern web, we've been chasing our tails ever since. The amount of innovation, the amount of technology growth, and the amount of sprawl has just outpaced or continued to pace the amount of security investment we've made. So for all the things that we've helped secure, adding encryption to, putting certificates on websites, removing ARP as a major provider of transmission with IPv6, you know, certain things are, are, are being improved. But it's all a matter of chasing our tail. A lot of the things that we used to build the modern web just were never designed to do the things that they were doing. And a lot of you know, databases were not really designed to be connected to web pages. A lot of JavaScript could be, you know, 
tinkered with for cross-site scripting. And, you know, there's just so many flaws and so many ways to trick infrastructure to do things that are not supposed to do that it becomes a very challenging endeavor to protect everything perfectly. Because for the bad guys, the margin of error is almost infinite. They can spam out viruses and attacks to thousands upon thousands of targets. And as long as they get one or two hits, they're in business. Whereas if you're a blue team and you're a guy that, you know, you're designed, your job is to protect a business, you have a zero margin of error. Because if you make a mistake and aren't protecting something, somebody out there will find it. It's just a matter of time. And even if you protect the things you know about, there are still zero days and flaws in the code, in the processes, things that you're unaware of that you can't really know about that bad guys could potentially leverage. So there's no such thing as a 100% secure network. And the fact that the foundations of it are built on things that are just done through trust, like ARP, things that are not encrypted, like just flat port 53 DNS and you know, back in the day, things like Telnet and, you know, just flat HTTP were all just open in the clear. You could just scan the network and scan the packets and obtain information. You know, POP3 mail servers had non-encrypted mail passwords. Like things like that were just challenges within the early days of the web. It was just not designed with security in mind. So since that point, we've been chasing our tails. And of course, 27 years later, if we put you know 2022 back in our time machines and come back to the modern world, things have just exponentially grown. We've got smartphones, Internet of Things devices, cloud computing. You've got containers. You've got, you know, everything has just gone outer limits in terms of, of the attack surface itself. You know, I think the early estimates of how many devices exist in the world is in the 50 billion range and the number will be 100 billion in five years it's just continuing to explode and there are places in the world that still haven't jumped on if i recall i read somewhere that only 17 percent of the world population has access to the world wide web and can function in the e-commerce provided throughout the course of the, the world as it presently stands so there's still massive amounts of opportunity to exploit the web for business purposes, but our security to it and the core foundations of the technology it's built on, and a lot of times we're simply never designed to do what we're doing with it. So we've always been trying to bolt security processes to insecure foundational technology. And that is the core reason why things are so hard in the cybersecurity world, because as we make things more complicated and more robust and more you know, functional, at the same time, there's ways to exploit it. And sometimes, you know, we just don't see it. You know, Log4j sat dormant for, what, eight, nine years before someone figured out that there's a hard-coded address here in Log4j that you could use for nefarious purposes. And what you're going to see here in a moment as we go over the Uber hack, sometimes bad processes and and lack of accountability in terms of what your footprint is in your storage and your network and sometimes some baffling decisions made by humans, humans are always the weak link, can get your company in trouble. So the next thing I want to kind of touch on here today is what happened to Uber. And I don't mean to drag Uber through the mud. Um, they have a, a pretty sordid history with regards to cybersecurity. They had a, a major incident in 2016 that saw some criminal charges being levied against the, the CISO. And now you have this hack, which is unfortunate and 
I'm going to say it, it should have been prevented. This should never have occurred. And it's just unfortunate. And it's, you know, an advocacy for cybersecurity awareness training for not only your company, but for your third-party vendors. Uh, So we're going to go over that here in a moment. Uh, But the point to take from all my rambling here is the modern internet is based on core foundational technology that's simply not secure, wasn't designed to do the things it's doing. So since that point, we've been chasing our tails. And if you're just starting in this industry, that is one of the challenges you're up against. We are trying to secure technology that was never designed for some of the things that it's doing. And now we have to make it work. So you may find that you get some legacy technology or some older stuff that doesn't play nice with your security solutions. Or you may find newer technology that has to kind of acquiesce to some older technology. But that's the challenge we have. Uh, so the next section is Uber. So let's go ahead and review exactly what got Uber into trouble here on September 15th of 2022. So it's time to punch in September 15th, 2022 into our DeLoreans as we go and take a look at what happened to Uber here about two weeks from the current time frame when a young 18-year-old under the moniker of Teapot was able to gain access to the keys to the kingdom of the mobility as a service provider Uber just two weeks ago. So the original attack appears to have been started through a phishing campaign. And, And just for review, phishing is usually a fraudulent email sent under the guise of a legitimate company and is designed to trick you into clicking a link or an attachment that has some sort of malware or some sort of fraudulent or dangerous content that will gain a nefarious actor access to your environment. In the case of Uber, Uber was using multi-factor authentication, which is current best practice, which means even if I enter credentials and even if I fall for a phishing attack, which in this case, a third-party contractor did, The multi-factor authentication is designed so that you get a text message on your phone, you get some sort of alert that allows you to double authenticate the entry to the network. So the idea is, the concept is known as something you know, something you have. So if you know the password, okay, I've put in my password, now that's something I know. Then if I have my cell phone, that's something I have. I now have to press a button or a code to allow access, and it's a multi-factor authentication process. Well, for whatever reason, this contractor accepted the multi-factor request despite the fact he didn't initiate it. That is just baffling to me, and it is a complete failure of cybersecurity awareness training, which is part of the reason I'm doing this podcast today because October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Somewhere down the line, this gentleman who was compromised did not take the test or absolutely failed because not only did he fall for the phishing campaign attack, but he authenticated the MFA request and let the attacker in unbeknownst to the company. So this is a a major challenge here. But that's problem number one. So somehow, some way, this 18-year-old gets into the, the company. So what ends up occurring now that he's got his foot in the door, Teapot goes into an internal network share and finds some PowerShell script. So PowerShell is a coding language, or it's a programming language that you can use for Windows to do automation tasks. Usually, that's what you do with PowerShell. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, this network share that is available to the bulk of the company has a script that has hard-coded 
privileged administrative credentials within the code. So what this means is that if I go into the network share and open up a script, somewhere there's a password that is simply in plain text available for someone to read and leverage. This is a huge no-no. You can never do this in a production environment. It is just a keys to the castle, brain-numbingly bad process. I have no idea why this is here. This is just a massive problem. And this is a, a twofold issue. You've got this contractor who just failed miserably on the phishing side and on the multi-factor authentication side. And now you have some sort of network administrator or some sort of system admin who has written a script that has administrative credentials hard-coded into a script. So with this, this guy, this teapot, gets access to the Amazon Web Services portion of Uber, the G Suite portion of Uber, the Google Cloud platform for Uber, One Login, Sentinel One, Response Portal, Slack, OpenDNS, you name it. This guy has access to it. And this guy was on Slack telling the world what he was doing, and people were kind of laughing at him, but he really was in the crown jewels of Uber. Uber's saying all this, the, the right stuff at this point after the hack. They're saying they need to rotate keys, you know, reset compromised passwords and accounts, identify code base issues with regards to scripting, strengthen the MFA policies, increase internal monitoring, cybersecurity awareness training. All of this stuff's great. But this is the kind of stuff that us as cybersecurity professionals are paid to prevent. This can't be what happens on a day-to-day -day basis. We have layers of security. You've probably heard this term before, defense in depth. And what it means is we have layers of defenses that prevent this kind of stuff from happening. And Uber had some of these things. With multi-factor authentication, that's defense in depth. But defense in depth as a concept a lot of times is kind of fading away because of zero trust and, and the concept of sassy and the fact that there's so many attack vectors that, that defense in depth is kind of obsolete. And in some ways I agree with that. But in this case, I think Uber had some of this stuff. You just have a multitude of failures that kind of conglomerate together into this monster hack. You have a guy who just authenticates a random multi-factor authentication request for no reason. He gets fished. He's not you know, diligent with regards to what email he's clicking. And then you have internal network folks who are hard coding sensitive credentials that should never in a million years stay static for one. Number two, should never be hard coded available to the bulk of the user base in a random network share. So these are things that just can't happen. And it's great that Uber's saying the right stuff, but it's you know too little too late at this point. And these are the kind of things that we teach in cybersecurity awareness training. And I know everyone listening to this or the bulk of the folks listening to this that have ever worked in a large company just kind of cringe when they hear me say that. Oh, God, cybersecurity awareness training, checking boxes, you know, just getting it done because I have to. It's, you know, un uninteresting to them. But it really is important. And there are consequences if it fails. And this is what happens if you don't take it seriously. There has to be kind of a happy medium met between, yes, it can be dry, but you've got to make it entertaining. And at the same time, it's mandatory because if you don't do it right, this is the stuff that happens. So Uber hacked in, a, in an un, 
really an unsophisticated manner. You get a young kid in there who really isn't doing anything technologically, you know, daunting. He, he gets access through a phishing campaign. So he social engineers someone that is not technical in any manifest. He doesn't crack the MFA in any kind of technical way. He just has someone authenticate it who shouldn't. And then he navigates, he does some network traversal to a, a network share that has credentials just waiting for him. This was not some act of zero day brilliance. This was negligence. And that is where I want to go with this. I don't want to drag Uber through the mud here, but this is just not acceptable for a company of this amount of resources that's already had problems in the cybersecurity space. There has to be changes made. People need to be accountable for this and, and improvements need made here. But that is how Uber was hacked. So if you see this in the news, that is the nuts and bolts of it. The core lesson I want everyone listening, particularly those of you that are getting started in this industry, we have to evangelize the importance of cybersecurity awareness training because if you don't, these are the kind of things that can happen to your company. So the final stage of this podcast here today that I want to go over is I want to give everyone listening, particularly those of you who are just getting started in your cybersecurity journey, a handful of tips that you can leverage in your positions so something like this doesn't happen to your workplace. So the final part of the podcast today, let's take a deep dive into how we prevent what's occurred to Uber or how we can help prevent this from our workplaces as a collective. And I'm coming from this as a perspective of someone new to the industry. So maybe you've just started at your job or you're looking for work as we speak, or you're just in your first semester of college and you know, you're, you're not quite there yet, but let's provide some options as to how you can prevent this kind of unfortunate situation that you heard about Uber from happening in your workplace. So these items are non-technical by and large. They are more mindset kind of things. They're more things that you can suggest to your leadership or your immediate supervisors to help kind of set a culture. Because what you'll find is that in terms of corporate America and, and particularly in the tech sector, if you have leadership that advocates just sufficient or mediocrity in terms of its goal, then the rest of the company now has the permission to be sufficient or mediocre. And to me, that's not an acceptable way of leading. Like that's not an acceptable mantra because what ultimately occurs is what you shoot for doesn't always meet where you end up firing. It's like if you take a bow and arrow and you shoot for the bullseye. Well, if you shoot for the bullseye, you might hit right around the bullseye. You might hit close to it, but you're not necessarily going to hit perfectly into the bullseye. So it's close. You're, 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 it's an accurate shot. It's a nine out of 10, but you're, you're, you're not aiming for the best possible outcome. So if your leadership advocates for mediocrity or sufficient, then you're t shooting for a five. You're shooting around the edges of the target which means that if your margin of error is comparable to that, you may miss the target altogether, or you might just hit it just on the fringes, which really isn't good enough in my opinion. So what I'm getting at here is that I want to provide you guys some mindset pieces and some, some things that you can bring to the table that are intrinsic in terms of your attitude and your, your best practice thoughts. So the very first thing I'm going to suggest you do is be an advocate for the best practice even if it costs the business time and money. 
So why do I suggest this? Oftentimes you're gonna be new to the company or you're gonna be someone, you know, just walking in the door. Why would I suggest you, you know, have them spend money or, or time or resources to something? And it's not necessarily that they're gonna take you up on this because a lot of companies won't, but there needs to be a voice of reason in conversations when a new solution or new technology is put in place. You're gonna find particularly in large corporations that a lot of cybersecurity is done in Teams meetings. You're gonna be in a lot of meetings, you're gonna be discussing tactics and procedures and security postures and compliance and things that aren't necessarily hands-on keyboard technology, but they are the policy and frameworks around what we build. And when I say be an advocate of the best practice, that means whatever is the best way to protect something is what you should be advocating for. So let's say, for example, you have a database that is in your company, and that database has customer data on it, and it has sensitive data on it. What is the best practice you want to advocate for? Well, in my opinion, that would be including to keep the database segmented on the network. If it has credit card data, you're probably under PCI DSS, which means you need to encrypt it, or you might even need to tokenize it. There are certain best practices that need to happen to that data. So advocate for that. That is what your job is. That's why you're there. You know, you're, you're the person who should be telling leadership and should be telling them, hey, this is what needs to be done. Now, does that mean they're going to do it every time you say? No, but oftentimes the best practice will be implemented or a reasonable compromise will occur. So be that voice of reason. Anytime you're in a position where your opinion particularly is sought out, do that, provide the best practice and, and give that to your leadership. And that will help kind of facilitate and keep the quality level of what you're providing companies at a, at a high level. The second thing that I think is on this list, and this may be the most important, the most important is speak up when you see something that doesn't pass the smell test. Sometimes you're going to see something that you don't like. You're going to see something that doesn't make sense. You're going to see something that you feel is a risk. Like if somebody had been into Uber's network and had been surfing around their network share and found a, a PowerShell script with hard-coded password credentials, that doesn't pass the smell test. Passwords in big companies should be rotated on a regular basis. And what I mean by rotated, in some cases, every hour, administrative credentials are rotated through software like CyberArk. And that keeps password management and the means to have a hard-coded password like that null and void. But there should never be passwords coded into, into scripts like that, into code. So if that if you run into something like that, you need to tell your immediate managers, your supervisors, you need to tell somebody in that space that there's something wrong. Like if you're a firewall administrator and you find an, an all-all or an any-any rule somewhere in a firewall, that's a major problem because that means the firewall is not doing anything. It's, it's letting all network traffic go through it. It's not filtering. So that needs to be changed immediately. So these are things that don't pass the smell test. And sometimes, you know, you, you need to be the voice of reason, you know, because sometimes the voice of reason just has laryngitis. Nobody ever speaks up about it. So if you're on the front lines, find those things and suggest the fixes to them. You know, if it's hard-coded passwords, those need to go away. If it's firewall rules that have any, any access, they need to have the appropriate firewall rules set so that you're filtering the appropriate traffic and allowing the appropriate traffic to go to the networks needed. And the last thing is a reiteration of something we talked about. Shoot for world-class to start any cybersecurity project or task. Oftentimes, 
you are going to not get everything you want. So if you're shooting for like the very best and brightest and the most perfect solution, that bullseye, you're not going to get that, but you're going to get close to it. Whereas if you just shoot for sufficient, you may get something that barely passes compliance or may not pass compliance. And that's going to hurt your organization long-term in the future. And you'll be stunned by the amount of people, particularly in companies that don't provide sufficient cybersecurity budgets or the culture isn't very much embracing the cybersecurity world that don't want to do world-class or even, you know, sometimes they don't want to do sufficient. They don't want to do anything. So that is something that you're going to have to kind of feel out as you progress in your career, but shooting for world-class in anything you do, it doesn't even have to be cybersecurity. Like if you're going to do something and invest the time to do it, be the best you can be, right? Do the, the very best you can do. If you're a student, get all A's. If you're going to, if you're paying for school, right? If you're, if you're paying for an education, if you're in high school, get the best grades you can get. You're investing the time anyway. So there, there's no reason to not do the very best that you can possibly do. Shoot for the stars. If you get straight A's in 1B, or if you get everything you're asking for, except for one detail that's not compatible with the software platform, okay, you're, you're still making a significantly bigger difference in security posture for your enterprise if you get that solution, as opposed to just checking the minimum required boxes for any kind of cybersecurity project. Because oftentimes the goalposts will change. So it's important to go above and beyond. And, and the better you do your job, the safer your customers and your company is from the kind of threats that we saw from Uber. So that's my goals for you. So to review, be an advocate for the best practice, even if it's expensive and cost time and money. Oftentimes, companies will take you up on the best practice or they'll compromise and find something that at least improves the security posture by a reasonable measure. If you see something that you don't like, and doesn't pass the smell test, speak up. You're the voice of reason. You're on the front lines as a junior analyst. A lot of times you're going to see log files. You're going to see tickets. You're going to see network traffic. If something doesn't pass the smell test, speak up. You'll be surprised what you may find and fix because you're, you're being an advocate for your company. And last but not least, shoot for world-class when you do any cybersecurity project or task. If you fall short of, of that world class and you get an eight or nine out of 10, that's far better than if you're just shooting for sufficient and sufficient's five and you get a, a three or a four because you, know, you may not meet compliance or what you're doing may not make enough of a difference to deter an adversary. So that concludes our podcast here for this evening. I want to thank you for listening, and if you are just getting started in your cybersecurity journey, I did want to let you know that we are starting additional podcast topics here on this podcast. So you're going to see a lot more content here on a more regular basis, particularly in the month of October. Uh, something that I will be starting here very soon is a series that I like to call Tech Talk Tuesday. And what Tech Talk Tuesday is going to be is every Tuesday I'm going to produce a small, shorter podcast that kind of focuses on one piece of technology or one topic in technology. And the idea here is that if you're studying for an exam or you're studying for a cybersecurity degree, some of these topics may help you in accomplishing those tasks. And it's something that you can kind of digest in small bits. There'll be a lot shorter format than what you're hearing here today. Uh, this format will continue, uh, but I will ad have additional podcasts that will help you uh, kind of study specific pieces of technology uh, as you progress in your studies. So look forward to that here in the week to come. 
But until next time, I want to thank you for listening. Have a fantastic day, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.